You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to all of our Sunday Gospel Reflection ICC Bible brothers and sisters. Annie Mitchell, how are you doing? I am doing great, Father Hezekiah. How are you? A blessing to be with you. I'm doing great. And uh, here we are on the in the so-called 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time. As I oftentimes say, we are in the post-Pentecost season. And that's the most important thing that we need to know because the church is placing before us the life of the early church as it grew out of Jerusalem, as it exploded out of Jerusalem. Or, um, well, actually in the gospel today, not in the particular passage we're going to look at, but in the whole area, very much talk about the, the spread and the growth of the kingdom and what it looks like. We have a chance to look at that today. Um, but anyways, as it's growing, what challenges is it going to face? What are the difficulties? What are the warnings that the church places before us as not, not well, I should say, what challenges the early church face and what lessons can we learn for the church today, that's kind of where we're at in the liturgical cycle. Anyways, let's go ahead and take a look at these passages. If you've got a notepad and you're writing things down, get out your Bible. Mm-hmm. Annie, what passages are we looking at? Well, the first reading this weekend is from the prophet Isaiah chapter 66. We will be reading verses 18 through 21. Mm-hmm. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 117. The gospel will be from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. And our epistle is from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 7 and then 11 through 13. So that's what we have. Wonderful. Let's do it then. All right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 66. We'll be starting at verse 18. Thus says the Lord, I know their works and their thoughts, and I come to gather nations of every language. They shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them. From them I will send fugitives to the nations, to Tarshish, Put, and Lud, Mosach, Tubal, and Javan, to the distant coastlands and have never heard that have never heard of my fame or seen my glory and they shall proclaim my glory among the nations they shall bring all your brothers and sisters from all the nations as an offering to the lord on horses and in chariots and carts upon mules and dromedaries to jerusalem my holy mountain says the lord just as the Israelites bring their offering to the house of the Lord in clean vessels. 
Some of these I will take as priests and Levites, says the Lord. All right, Father, I have no idea if I even pronounced these nations' names correctly. Um, I don't. I don't either. And I, I really feel bad for whoever has to <laughs> lecture this weekend. You know, I was doing a Bible. I was doing a Bible study at the ICC the other day, and I got to um, this passage. Um, not this passage, but a passage. I, oh, we were in Judges, and this the location was like unpronounceable i was just like i could not do it yeah so no it's fine you know a lot of times honestly i'm going to tell you to do something which i shouldn't ever tell you to do it's totally against everything i stand for which is which is sometimes you got to skip over stuff yeah what i mean by that is just not not to skip over the content but but sometimes names will trip you up so sometimes when you're doing your bible study where that yes it's good to slow down and see if you can kind of take the name apart because sometimes that name actually comes apart in pieces and then you can kind of there's more to it than, than first meets the eye. However, don't get caught up in the fact that you can't pronounce the name. Sometimes I just skip over names or towns. I can't pronounce them. But anyways, here you are. Tarshish, Put, Lud, Masach, Tubal, Javan. First of all, these are a number of these are names that you probably recognize from the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. In the early genealogies, because locations were associated with people, right? This is yeah. the village of, you know, it's Frank's village, right? Right, or right. you know what I mean, where the, the the famous guys from, or my great 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 grandfather, and the town's actually named after him because that's where he lived. That was his. That was where his tent was put up. Right. So so you know, uh, uh, Tubal and Javan and Put and these guys. These are all names from Genesis. So, anyways, but the ans- simple answer to your question is this: that these are um, well, number one, there's disagreement as to the original location of some of these places. But ultimately the answer is given in the next line, the distant coastlands. You see that in your, yeah. in your, this is the next, the next phrase to the distant coastlands. Well, remember that we're talking about living on the Mediterranean mm-hmm. and the Mediterranean world had a freeway system. And that freeway system was the Mediterranean sea. And so when it, when we can't comes to talking about, uh, trade and well, you know, it's a good example for us as modern Americans. Although I know there's people that participate in the state that are not Americans. You're from the ICC now is, is uh, spread all over the world, but most, most members of the ICC are from the United States. And uh, we have this sense, we get a sense of this because, you know, of course the founding of the, the, the discovery of the Americas was all about going to these distant, the Indies, right. Going out and getting all this, all this richness. And we have this in our, at least in my imagination, they're going to unknown places and they're coming back with treasure. And so when we're talking about these, these cities, these are meant to kind of spark in the memory of the people of God, you know, uncle Joe, who went off and came back with this from distant lands. And that's the point coastal, these coastal regions along the Mediterranean areas, places are kind of like saying, the whole world out there in the far distant reaches of our imagination where there's people of different color, imagine that, and different cultures and treasure and all this kind of stuff. So I will set it aside from them. I will send fugitives to the nations, an interesting line, by the way, mm-hmm. to Tarshish, Put, Lud, and so forth to the distant coastlands, right? So the far reaches of the world. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I went a little Got bit more. Oh, no. I mean, uh, that that's good to know. So I wanted that to kind of contextualize, I guess, here. I mean, what does this passage mean 
first of all, in the context of Isaiah itself, but of course, knowing that Isaiah is a prophet, there is a truth here for all of salvation history, I'm sure. So what is that as well? Yeah, so we oftentimes go back here in our study to the Babylonian exile, but most of the time we're talking about the Babylonian exile, we talk about the problems that led to the Babylonian exile. It's right. most of our time there. Yeah. So today we get to do something else, and that is look at another problem, which we've done in the past, but maybe it's been a while. And that is to look at the problems which took place after the Babylonian exile, because here's the thing. It's not only a matter of what caused the Babylonian exile that's important when Jesus comes, because he's the Messiah to restore what's gone wrong, but the Babylonian exile is not the end of the story in preparation for the Messiah because they did return 70 years later. Right. So ultimately you got to get in there and dig and, and it's digging there. That's difficult for most Catholics because we can get a pretty much a pretty straightforward uh, uh, storyline leading from Genesis. You know, we know the going to Egypt, coming back from Egypt and then the problems with Solomon, the problems during the time of the Kings, the split of the, of the kingdom. And then the Babylon exile. But after that, what happened? Yeah, right? what is that time between that and Jesus? It's yeah. super important because you're living this. And, and from a biblical standpoint, you're talking about 500 years, which is nothing right. biblically speaking. So we have to take in our minds, this is something I encourage you to do. Take 500 years, and I want you to shrink it down to five days. Because when we think about Jesus, we usually think about him in terms of a day or two, <laughs> three days, right? Yeah. And so we got to shorten our time period down to realize that 500 years, I mean, you're talking about modern history in the sense of the Messiah to the Babylonian exile. That's kind of in our, in terms of, of, of even, even our thinking, you're talking about French Revolution time period. I mean, that's yesterday, yeah. right? There's, and, and so historically, so we have to think about the time of them coming back from Babylon as yesterday when it comes time for the Messiah and the expectation of the people be very much rooted in what happened. Because, and I'll tell you why that's the case, because nothing really did happen. They came back from Babylon and they were thrown into a freezer box, if you will, because they end up under the control of various nations who keep conquering them. Yeah. Um, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, right? Successive conquerors. So they're basically thrown into jail when they come back from, from, from Babylon. But that's not the whole story. Because when they first come back, they're not in jail, really, technically. But they put themselves in jail. And that's the problem. And that's the problem that Jesus comes, right? He comes with the jail key to unlock the thing and get the people out of jail. Because it's Ransom a jail the captives, if you will. Yeah, take that because they put themselves there. And that's what we need to look at to understand what Isaiah is talking about. And then what's going on in the gospel in relationship to that. We're in Isaiah 66. You've opened your Bible there and notice where you're at. It's the end of Isaiah, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's the like end of the prophecy in which the prophet saying, hey, life's going to be all right. But here's what it's going to look like. And when he says this, what's going to look like, it's not going to go over well with the people. Remember, Jesus goes to Nazareth, right? And he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah. And what do they do to him when he, when he says, he says, hey, remember during 
during during the pro during the time of Elijah and Elisha, they didn't go to you guys. They went up to Sidon and and so forth. They went to other people to proclaim healing and so forth. And they become enraged. What? I'm the chosen one. It's my family, right? And this is exactly what's going on in Isaiah, which is why we're going to see in Luke in the passage, just following our piece, that uh, Jesus goes and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have, I, I, I would have taken you, but you wouldn't, right? Yeah. And then he says, you killed the prophets I sent to you. And this is, and why did they kill the prophets? Because of exactly what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying, hey guys, guess what? There is going to be a restoration. But it's not exactly what you're expecting. You actually might die in Babylon. And even when you come back, guess what? Your purpose is, it's not about you, right? And this brings us to a bigger story about the calling of God's people and why. So let's go back very quickly to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 gives us the calling of Abraham and really gives us the purpose of God's people. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that, whenever you read so that in the Bible, pay attention. Why was Abraham called? Why did God form a people around him? Why did he take Israel out of Egypt? Why did he form a nation under David and Solomon? Why did he bring the people back from Babylon? So that you will be a blessing. So that exactly to all the nations, right? Is what he goes on to say. So that you'll be a blessing to all the nations. The, the whole purpose of God's people is rest, restorationism. Yeah. And uh, we've heard a lot in the modern, you know, in, in media today about those even within the church that, that come down on the so-called restorationists. Well, guess what? We're all restorationists because we want to get back to the Garden of Eden. We all want to get back to the way God designed it to be. Well, at least if you're a Christian. Right. Uh, and if you're not, well, then you can abandon our God's plan and go make your own plan for paradise. But guess what? God's plan has already been laid out. It's in Genesis chapter one, two, and three. And Jesus has come to restore that. And the call, everything is for that. So therefore the calling of the people is for that purpose. You're to be a light to the nations, a sign among God's people of what God has planned to do. So let's go back then to Isaiah 66 and, uh, and dig at this a little bit. And, and by way of going to verse 22, which is the next verse in our passage, beyond what actually is prescribed. It says, for as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. From the new moon to the new moon and from the Sabbath to the Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the dead bodies and the men that have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So there's, so, and that's how the book ends. That's how the, <laughs> that's the last line in Isaiah, right? And so we're talking about what's going to happen when the restoration happens, when God's people come back from Babylon, which is ultimately the answer Isaiah is giving, right? Is saying what's going to happen when all this takes place. It's going to look 
like a, like something. And those, what, what is it going to look like? Those that come to the Lord are going to live. And all of this disaster you see around you is going to be renewed, restored. There's going to be a new heavens, a new earth, and so forth, okay? So going back to my point, I'm going back to Genesis 12, and that is to say that God's people were supposed to come back from the from, from Babylon for a purpose. And that's what sets up the gospel story yeah. because that purpose remains unfulfilled. And to understand that, so we have Isaiah telling you what it's going to look like, but ultimately it doesn't happen. And here's why. Okay. Now we're going to flip to a couple of different passages. We're going to look first of all um, at the prophet Haggai. Now you might say to yourself, Haggai? Haggai? Where in the world wow. is Haggai? Yeah, yeah, Haggai is a, is a wonderful little prophet writing mostly post-Babylonian exile. Um, not most likely. In fact, he gives the timestamp. And so it is post-Babylonian exile. So we got to do a little bit of work here. I'm going to flip around a little bit. Okay. Haggai, you with me? Just before, if you find, if you go to Mal, if you go to Maccabees and then you go backwards, you're going to find Haggai. Now, I know about half of you uh, turned to the, your table of contents in the front of your Bible. Oh, rip that, rip Maybe that page. That. No, 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 what no, no. Page? Don't do it. Don't do it. Because you know why? You're never going to learn to find books of your Bible. That's why. Okay. Pages don't exist. Page numbers don't exist in your Bible. Rip that table of contents out and, uh, and, and learn your Bible. So here we are. Haggai chapter one, just before, look, just before Maccabees and you go backwards a few things and you're going to find it. So it's like one page. That's why you can't find it. Yeah, okay? I, know. I was just saying, I keep yeah. flipping around. And right. Malachi, Zechariah, I'm going backwards and Zechariah and then Haggai and then Zephaniah. So you're going to be able to find it. M Maccabees backwards, just a few books okay. right there. Okay. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. Go ahead. You found? Did you find it? I finally found it. This is, okay, that's a good. I'm going to stop for a second because I'll tell you right now. And I said, I say to the speakers that come to the ICC, I want you to slow down and take your time so people can actually open their Bibles because half the time people don't even know how to open their Bibles, mm -hmm. and then we get nervous because you're on international ICC Sunday Gospel Reflection, and Annie's struggling to find Haggai, and that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can find I mean, it, and we got to take the time Haggai to find it. Haggai is like. One page, a page and a half. And you should know Haggai because he's critically important to understanding the gospel account of what's going on. Okay. And we're going to get there. But first, we're going to look at Haggai. In the second year of Darius, the king. Now that Darius, there's many debate who Darius was. Is it possible that he's Cyrus? Same guy. Mm -hmm. It's possible. It's the two different names for the same guy who releases uh, uh, God's people from Babylon. We're going to take right. a look at that in a second. Darius, the king of the sixth month and the first month, the word came uh, to, by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, okay, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah. Boom, my head blows off because Zerubbabel is one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible, and I hope he's one of your favorite. I almost took the name Zerubbabel when I was ordained a priest. but Really? But my wife wouldn't let me. Yeah. Father Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Why do I love Zerubbabel? Because he ends up as governor, but he's actually the descendant of Solomon. He's the descendant of David. He is to be the king of God's people, but he comes back from Babylon. The same thing happens as happens during the time of the Exodus is the rightful heir to the throne kind of keeps himself from getting his head cut off by the enemy. And so he comes back and he works himself into being 
to be being placed as governor, but he, he, he remains kind of in the background and he's respected among the people, but he never stands up and says, Hey, I'm the King, even though he was, he was like Joseph, right. Who yeah. knew who he was, but he forgot the sake of God's people keeps himself humble. So he gets himself appointed governor. I'm going to go back. Keep your hand in Haggai. Keep your hand there. I'm definitely not losing You're not my leaving. place on Haggai. And now we're going to go to a book you can find very easily. And that's Ezra. Now, you know exactly where Ezra is in your Bible after second Kings. Okay. Second, first, oh, I'm sorry. Second Chronicles, first Kings, second Kings, first Chronicles, second Chronicles. Okay. In the first year of Cyrus, you would, okay, I'm sorry. I went yeah. too fast. So, are you with yeah. me? You find Ezra? Okay. Yeah. Ezra is the story. Ezra and Nehemiah, which is the next week of your Bible, tell the story of them coming back from Babylon. And here it is. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. So it's possible this is, this is the same guy, Darius. We're not sure. King of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. What? Okay, now your head really has to blow off because Cyrus is a pagan or, a, a, you know, a, yeah, he's a pagan. Yeah, he's a pagan. Yeah. He doesn't know the Lord. So the Lord is actually, sends, he, he receives the gift of the spirit. He becomes a believer. How? I mean, completely miraculously. And then he decides to, to choose Jerusalem to restore the temple that burned in the times of Jeremiah. Well, imagine right? that. Imagine that. Wow. Who has in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, whoever's among us, all his people, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem. And then you go and keep reading and he gives them all of the gold from the temple that they stole. And he gives them money and he funds the whole project and says, you're free. Just like Egypt, they despoil the Babylonians or the, 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 the Persians here. And Persia had conquered the Babylonians by this time. So they despoil the Persians and they go back to, to the promised land to, do, to rebuild the house of the Lord. But look at Haggai. And then we're going to look back at, um, well, we should also have our hands, by the way, in Isaiah 66. Right. So before we turn back to Haggai, let's go back to our chapter, Isaiah 66. We're going to look at verse one. I know we're going very far afield and not a lot of time for the gospel, but this is a time period. And most people don't know. It's very important to understand the gospel. So Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. This is verse one. And the earth is my footstool. What is the house which you shall build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hands has made. So all these things are mine, says the Lord. But this is the man to whom I will look, he that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like him who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like him who breaks a dog's neck. What? I thought the Lord commanded sacrifice. He who presents a cereal offering like him who offers swine's blood. He who makes a memorial offering is a, a, a frankincense like him who blesses an idol. Oh my gosh. Well, wow. why, Annie? You tell me why. Why is why is the why is Isaiah, why is the Lord through Isaiah speaking in this way as the people of God are preparing to return to build the house? Well, they better remember to bring their first fruits and not what's left over. 
Exactly. And this is what's going on in Haggai. Now turn to Haggai and we're going to nail it right there and we're going to move on. Haggai um, uh, verse 3. Haggai verse 3. Do you, you hold your spot in Haggai? Oh, I did. Yeah, she, yeah, you're like, <laughs> I yeah. wasn't going to go searching again. We wouldn't have any time for anything. <laughs> okay. Haggai verse, look, it's just chapter one, verse three. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in the, in, 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 in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Oh no. So therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider how you fared. You sown much and harvested little. Um, uh, uh, you eat, but you never have enough to, you drink, but you never have your, so what's going on? Basically a famine. They come back to the promised land, just like Abram, by the way, Abraham, by the way, came in, there's a famine in the land because there's a drought. So they come back to the promised land and things aren't good. Yeah. And they begin building their own homes. And well, I say, why aren't they good? Because they start worrying about themselves, worrying about, instead of worrying about the Lord. Yeah. And look at verse, um, Verse um, uh, nine, you have looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house, which lies in ruins while you busy yourselves each with your own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld their dew and the earth has withheld its produce. Yeah. Verse seven, chapter two, verse 17. I smote you and all your products of your, with, of your toil with blight and mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. <laughs> Consider onward from the what's going to happen, okay? So, big learning lesson in, in Isaiah 66 and in, going back to Haggai, you can also, by the way, you should read, and we don't have time to do it, the prophet Malachi, but we look at Malachi a lot in our Bible studies, that the people of God come back from Babylon and they throw themselves into spiritual prison. They become very self-centered in their in their, how they're living. Uh, me firstness. I'm the chosen people. God has brought me back to this land. He's given it to me, not to you, right? And they've lost the whole sense of what their purpose is. Hello, Abra uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right? And therefore the Lord says, hey, guess what? If you refuse to be a light to the nations, right? Now, I'm okay, I got to connect this. Now, Jesus, we have to talk about Jesus. There's a reason why Jesus preaches the way he does. There's a reason why he says you are to be a light to the nations because he's saying, hello, you people that are living in the prison of your own sins in your selfishness, remember what you're supposed to be. And Jesus calls them now out of prison. So this is what happens. This is, in, 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 is, is what's taking place in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. I'm sorry, I have to go to Malachi because in Malachi chapter one, verse six, chapter one, verse six, we get back to Isaiah 66 that we looked at verses one and following. Okay, so I'm in Malachi chapter one, verse six. Are you there, Annie? Yeah. Yeah. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. You say, how have we despised thy name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you mm -hmm. offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that no evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, 
Is that no evil? Present that to your governor. Yeah. When you bring fake flowers into the church, oh, priest of God, is that no evil? When you use cheap, uh, 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 what's the Jewish wine that, that's so commonly used? Manischewitz, for God's sake. Is that no evil? Priest of cheap, God. How about cheap candles? Cheap candles, yeah. Paraffin with mixed with animal fat. Is that no evil? You can't offer, you can't offer beeswax candles in your churches. You got to use noxious fluid to fill your fake candles with. Is that no evil? You come late to church. Is that no evil? You wear shorts from the beach to church. Is that no evil? I don't want your sacrifices, you sickos. I want your heart. And until you give me your heart, all your pretty buildings and your churches mean nothing to me because they're not a church at all. The church is the gathering of God's people in communion with him. And communion with him is the critical part. And when you break that, it ceases to be a church. Okay. I'm off on a tangent. Nevertheless, here we are in Isaiah 66, in which he gives us the answer. And that is if say, if you're not going to be a light to the nations, in other words, if this isn't going to be right here, if it's not going to be moving out of you, flowing out of you in relationship, guess what? I'm still a light to the nations, says the Lord. You are to be in my image and likeness. Therefore, I'm going to go ahead and sh shine my light out. To where? To Tarshish, Put, Lud, Masach, Tubal, and Javan, to the far reaches of the world. And I'm going to bring those people into my house. If you won't do it, you had an opportunity to be a, a, an evangelist and an apostle to carry the gift I've given you out to the world. But if you refuse to do it, I'm going to go save them anyways. Yeah? And then I'm going to put my people in my house to restore the new heavens and the new earth to make, to be a restorationist, to bring back the things that are supposed to be here. Okay. And there it is. Come down to the last verse of this, of this, of this text with me then. Yeah. Just as the Israelites bring their offerings to the house of the Lord in clean vessels. Right. And that's why we had to go and look at Malachi. And that's why we had to look at Haggai because they weren't using clean vessels, right? Mm -hmm. Some of these I will take as priests. And Levite says, oh, Lord, what? You're telling yeah, me? I was going to ask. That sounds crazy. It's pretty, pretty New Testament, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to bring, remember I said to bring it short, like shorten up your 500 years, like five days, because now you're standing on the edge. The 60, Isaiah 66 is the gateway to the gospel. Yeah. And, then, and, and why is that so important? Because that's what the people are dealing with. That's what the Pharisees and the Jews of Jesus's day are dealing with. When is Isaiah 66 going to be fulfilled in, in a, well, I should say this. When are the prophets in the, and the, the, all things are going to be restored and be fulfilled. And then the angst is going to set in. Wait a minute. It might not be us. He might actually be talking to the, people outside and bringing them into the house and that's where the rub is going to happen in the ministry of christ because ultimately that's not going to be very comfortable for god's people to have to sit next to people that were you know pork eating pagans mm -hmm. acts of the apostles that's exactly right. the problem and now the church says in this pentecost season hey guys here's what the picture looks like of the kingdom of god 
Yeah. Yeah. And now we can start to understand how the gospel fits in here, Annie. Right, with the bridge um, of Psalm 117, which is basically, okay, we just heard this this warning from the Lord, and then the psalm tells us, go out to all the world and preach the good news. Yeah, can we look at, yes, Annie, and, and, and I'm, I need to look at one other verse uh, here in Isaiah 66 in our passage that makes that exact point. Okay, I'm going to start with verse 18, which is the beginning of our passage, and I will set a sign among them. And from them, I will send survivors to the nations. Okay. And now this is, this is pretty cool, right? So the new American says fugitives. Mm-hmm. I will send fugitives to the yeah, nations. Like like What's a fugitive yeah. is one who has fled from persecution and come home for safety, right? Or not come home, but come for safety is now in the safe house. But now those ones are going to be sent out. Hmm. And so Isaiah prophesies that those among those that will come and take refuge in the house of the Lord, those are the ones that are going to be sent out to the nations, right? So those are, they have to come to the Lord's house. And that's the whole Haggai and the building of the house business and the temple of the Lord is so important. And the calling of the apostles. And now the context, Jesus is preparing He's going to go to Jerusalem and all of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, we can talk about that again a little bit, but is going on around him. And the, who are the fugitives? Well, it's the apostles that are now going to go out and proclaim the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting to think about it in the, um, in the uh, RSV translation here about survivors. I mean, you talk about Jesus didn't survive, if you will, the crucifixion, but the apostles did. Well, uh, uh, well, Jesus actually did rise from the dead, Annie. Well, yeah, I know that, but I mean, <laughs> that's why I put it in scare quotes, Father. <laughs> he didn't survive. Oh, the Lord crucifixion. have mercy. Yes, we are okay. a people of the resurrection. All right. Never mind. Maybe it was a bad. But, it wasn't no, we, an insight. No, no, no. All. But it's you're fine. the idea of survivors and from the don't. Okay, let's not jump into the gospel yet. Okay. In in the sense of survivors, it's a very important passage and idea because this comes in the prophets those who survive the the, the babylonian exile right yeah, right right ultimately who are the survivors or the ones that are left in jerusalem to kill and keep the land we've looked at in second kings chapter 25 and those who uh now keep the jubilee year those who now enjoy rest the the resting in the lord we've talked about in the past and so and that that their name becomes the daughter daughter sion right and that becomes an image of the church, the survivors who remain faithful to the Lord, the remnant. And that's critically important in the prophets and critically important to the early church in her mind of who she understood herself to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That remnant of restorationists, if yeah. you will. Very cool. Okay. I'm going to stop trying to glean insights and just <laughs> ask questions of you again. Shall we move on to the gospel? Let's move on. Let's see what I can glean from Luke chapter 13 now. (laughs) All right. Flip over to Luke chapter 13. We're reading verses 22 to 30. Here we go. Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. 
after the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then you will stand outside knocking, saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you and reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out. Mm. And well, pe- oh. Yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. I want to jump in, but go ahead. Keep finishing. <laughs> and people will come from east. Or sorry, let me start that over. And people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Well, quite a reading here that that we have um, with Jesus speaking here. Um, on as he's making his way to he's still making his way to Jerusalem here. Um, <laughs> so we are are jumping ahead in Luke now, actually, from from where we were last time, Father. So we were at the end of Luke chapter 12 for uh, last weekend's readings. Mm-hmm. So is there anything of significance in between then and now that we should know about that would help us kind of yeah. understand more of what actually, Jesus Well, said? actually there is, and it's, it's, it's a bit hidden in the text. I mean, it's not, if you're reading it, I think the way that Luke wants us to read it, there's a repetition. And when you see repetition in the Bible, oftentimes it's easy for us to kind of become blind to it because you hear it again and again and again. Yeah. And you're just like, well, I just heard it like 15 times. So it's a big deal. But repetition is supposed to be making you like look harder. This is what's being said and beating you over the head with it. So yes, there's a, first of all, there's a healing that takes place of a woman who's bent over with infirmity, with an illness. She's, she's probably, you know, struggling with her, with some, some way with her body. It's not exa- exactly uh, explicit what's going on, but then Jesus begins to tell a couple of parables, stories, it gives us analogies, if you will, of the kingdom of God. Mm. One is that of the mustard seed and then uh, one of leaven put mm-hmm. into the yeast or the, yeah. sorry, yeast bread, put yeah. into the, right. To, to make the thing rise, right. The bread. Thank you. So, but what it's it's easy to kind of like, oh, I've heard that image before. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven, kingdom of God. Okay. But what's being repeated is the kingdom of God, right? right. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And that's why the, the beginning of our passage here is like, thank God, finally, Father Hezekiah has been saying for the last like three months, as we've been slowly slugging our way through Luke 11 and 12 <laughs> is actually true. And that is Jesus is going to Jerusalem and for, of course, the passion. So it's not just one of his trips to Jerusalem. He's going and he's going to the cross. And so, so yes, he begins to teach in these parables regarding the kingdom of God, because they are expecting him to go up to Jerusalem, which is the throne city. And the Paul's there's now, here's the big conversation going on. There's people trying to kill him and don't take my word for it. Take a look at chapter, chapter 13, verse 31. Look at the verse following our peace. The very next verse at that very hour, some of the Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Mm. Right. And then look at verse 34. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are set to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Mm. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will see me. You will not see me until you see blesses. He who comes in the name of the Lord. There's lots to say about that passage, but the, 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 the key is here. Guys, Isaiah came. He told you what was going to happen. And now I'm here and it's happening. Now what's happening? Well, the nations are starting to come to Jesus. We're now at the end of his three-year ministry. He's been in Galilee. He's been in Jerusalem multiple times. They've rejected him, and now he's heading to Jerusalem. There's crowds around him. Don't forget about that. Chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they trod upon one another, he began to say to his disciples. So there's crowds following him, and he's heading to Jerusalem, and they're starting to get even more divided among themselves into camps for and against Christ. And he's got his, his close team around him, his disciples, and those are actually following him. And the Pharisees have now set themselves against him, and they're planning his arrest and his death. And, uh, and he knows it. And so, so again, context of, the, of, of, of Isaiah 66, who else is gathering around him? And who are these thousands? Well, it's not just Galileans and Jerusalem guys. Take a look with me, flip your Bibles, keep your hand in Luke chapter 12, turn your Bibles to the gospel of John. As Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the gospel of John chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 12 is Jesus is entering to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday Mm -hmm. and look at verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. That's the raising of Lazarus. And the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who were went up to worship the feast were some Greeks. Okay. (laughs) The Greeks? God, God, disgusting Greeks. Yes, even the Greeks. Yeah. There are people are going to be saved among the Greeks. Yes. Even <laughs> Sicilians. Can you imagine that? Oh my and, gosh. Oh my gosh. And How about so the, the Irish. And so the Pharisees are saying, now, who are the Pharisees? You can go back and listen to ICC talk on the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were those among God's people who were, who were uh, preparing for the coming of the Messiah saying, hey, this whole, this whole kind of not really following the law is not working out for us. It's been 500 years and we're still in spiritual prison. So we got to get ourselves right. Well, how did they plan on getting themselves right? By following the law really carefully. Yeah. But you know what? Isaiah 66 says, you know what? It's not all about just following the law carefully. It's not just about sacrificing the Passover lamb. You know, it's not just about wearing the right vestments. Those things are okay. But they're only okay if this is okay. And if this isn't okay, then that's not going to be okay. Yeah. So the Pharisees struggled, as many of us do, in this this thing about being kind of legalistic, following the law for the law's sake. 
It's not to say that the law. Catholic. Very, yeah, you know, very Catholic. <laughs> well, it's a warning to us today no. that it's not just a matter. And uh, uh, well, so for, not before we go today. Let's let's talk about Luke chapter thirteen. They're all following Jesus, right? They're all hanging out with him because he's where the rock concert is, right? He's going around town to town. He's the circus act. And everybody wants to be near him. So the Pharisees want to, don't want to be left out of that, right? They're not going to be like, hey, guys, forget about it. Let's go home. No, no, they know where all the people are. And they're around Jesus. So the Pharisees are around Jesus too, but for all the wrong reasons. And so now Jesus turns and says, look, the, 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 the prophets came to you and told you what was going to happen. And you still can't get your act right. Jerusalem, Jerusalem stoning the, killing the prophets, right? And stoning those who were sent to you, I would I came to you, and but you wouldn't come to me. I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her brood, but you wouldn't. I I healed your mothers, your fathers. I healed your aunts and your uncles. This lady just now, she, they know this lady, right? That's your aunt Susie, and you didn't, and you never graduated to faith in me. So you know your circus act isn't going to work out for you anymore. And, uh, and, and that's ultimately what's going on in the gospel of Luke. And, he, and I just stress again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? It is those who are gathered together, who are in communion with the king, who are actually following his law. And his law is simple and is love. And love is the giving of our life to the other. And they're seeking to kill him. They're seeking to take his life. Yeah, We as a church have much to learn from this. So that we don't become like the Jews who crucified Christ, but rather we become the faithful who are gathered together from the north, the east, the south, and so forth. In the west, sorry, I got my directions all mixed up. And we come to, to, to take refuge in the house of the Lord, in communion with him. And we begin offering ourselves to the Lord again, hello, plastic flowers. Yeah. Yeah. And we begin offering ourselves as, as God's people. And then having to restore a communion with God, we will then be again, once again, a sign, a light to the nations as we were meant to be. And this has been a story of the church for 2000 years of this, this kind of realization and recovery of our identity and a forgetfulness of our identity due to sin. And I think it's now time again that we remember our identity to be a light to the nations. And let me just say one last thing, because it's all over the news about, you know, all these things about the church going out into the world, not to become like the world. Right. Yeah. Not to go get dressed up like the heathen, but to be put on the garment of the Lord and proclaim the truth of the resurrection that no one will be saved apart from Christ. Yeah, in 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 all of the 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 uh, papal visitations to countries and things like that, I want to know: Are people coming to Christ? I, I this is the goal. This is why we go out to the world is to convert them so that they might be saved, not to confirm them as heathens. Yes, so so we need to recover once again this identity of the people of God. Okay, but sorry. Why does the gate have to be narrow? Well, I'll tell you what, I've got a quote here for you. Two quotations, and we can move on because we're going to be out of time. St. Cyril of Alexandria says this, Wide is the door and broad the way that brings down many to destruction. What are we to understand by this broadness? 
A stubborn mind will not bow to the yoke of the law. This life is cursed and relaxed in all carelessness, thrusting from it the divine law and completely unmindful of the sacred commandments. Wealth, vices, scorn, pride, and empty imagination of earthly pride spring from it. Those who would enter in by the narrow gate must withdraw from all these things. Be with Christ and keep the festival with him. If I hope we have time for just one more quote from the fathers of the church from St. Augustine. He says this. Christ has hidden enemies. All those who live unjust and irreligious lives are Christ's enemies, even if they are signed with the name and are called Christians. I mean, the ones to whom he is going say, I do not, I, I do not know you. And they say to him, Lord, in your name, we ate and drank. In your name, we performed many deeds of power. What did we eat and drink in your name? You see that they did not value their food very highly. I was thinking about this, you know, the same people that are traveling with Jesus ate from the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, right? Yeah. We ate and drank in your name. You see what they did not value their, they did not value their food very highly. And yet it was with reference to it that they said that we belong to Christ, right? I was there when he healed the paralytic. I was there when he multiplied the loaves and fishes. Christ is the food that is eaten and drunk. Even Christ's enemies eat and drink him. Now, now St. Augustine is going to turn to the Eucharist. The faithful know the lamb without spot on which they feed, if only they feed on it in such a way that they are not liable to punishment. The apostle says, whoever eats and drinks unworthily is eating and drinking judgment upon himself. So, so the point of saying that is that this whole passage and my comments regarding the, the Pharisees who were, who were who Jesus is going after and those that are following him, who's so-called following him, is a warning to all of us. It's not enough to be a Christian or I should say, you know, have the name of Christian. It's not enough to go to mass on Sunday. Yes, this is good. It's not enough to wear the cross around your neck. Yes, this is good. It's not enough. What's here? If the cross is hanging around your neck, but the cross isn't in our heart, we got a problem. And I'm not, I'd say I I preach to myself because we all struggle with this reality. The exterior signs that the Pharisees are doing. But inside your house is forsaken. You're bankrupt. Yeah. And, uh, and so all of this is a warning to the early church as she goes out in among the nations and she finds success in her conversion of the Greeks and the Gentiles and so forth. But it's easy to become lazy. Yeah. And then forget the real relationship God has called us to. And then our church becomes worthy our buildings i should say in this case our buildings and our crosses and our vestments and our things become a value but apart from that there is no value in them which is exactly what saint paul is saying in the hebrews epistle that we have for this weekend yeah let's let's, let's take a look at it what's the hebrews what hebrews chapter 12 and uh we'll do verses 5 to 7 and then 11 to 13 okay. this weekend brothers and sisters you have forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as children my son do not disdain the discipline of the lord or lose heart when reproved by him for whom the lord loves he disciplines he scourges every son he acknowledges endure your trials as discipline god treats you as sons for what son is there whom the father does not discipline at the time all discipline seems a cause not for joy but for pain Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. 
make straight paths for your feet, that what is lame may not be disjointed, but healed. I love that last part. Strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees, right? Your, your knees are banging together, right? And I, so let's just, I'm going to I'm going to share with you a, uh, a quotation from one of the fathers and make a final comment regarding the situation we face ourselves in ourselves today. And then, and then we're going to conclude. St. Basil the Great says this. Not in the amount of money, not in, in the pride of power, not in the height of glory is victory gained. But the Lord freely gives his help to those who seek him through excessive affliction. Such was Paul who made his afflictions his boast. Therefore, he was able to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Give us therefore, O Lord, help from trouble. Since suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. Do you see where affliction leads you to hope that does not disappoint? Are you ill? Be of good cheer because the Lord disciplines him whom he loves. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to now make my application to our situation today and we'll conclude. And that is regarding what we have endured for the last couple of years in a worldwide pandemic. We existed as a church. We lived as a church in many places, according to the law of obligation. And when that obligation was lifted for better or for worse by our ecclesiastical hierarchs, well, then people just stopped going to church. And when they stopped going to church, then they never really came back to church when they were able. And so we now have churches, many of our churches are empty or half full. My own community here has struggled in our return. Now we have many people coming, good families and so forth, very vibrant, but many people have not returned. I bring this up in light of Isaiah. I bring up in light of the gospel, in light of this passage, um, and and say that, you know what? I, yeah, there are many people who are going to find themselves outside the, the house of God. Many people who find themselves outside the house of God because their house was forsaken to begin with. Hmm. And there seems to be a remnant that's left. And it might be easy to despair. It might be easy to say, oh my gosh, what's, what's happened? This is terrible. And yes, it's terrible to see people absent from church. Uh, the, 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 the salvation which was granted, given to them, offered to them, is counted as nothing. And yet St. Paul says, the Lord says to us through St. Paul, strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. Have courage, have hope in the Lord. For he, he's, going to be, he's going to bring blessing out of these difficulties, people in Babylon, people that have returned from Babylon, people that are following Christ and the apostles looking and going, this isn't going to go well. We're going to Jerusalem and he's going to be arrested. He's, they're not going to enthrone him when he gets there. Yeah. We have difficulties in this life and we are going to have difficulties in our church, even among those that are hanging around Jesus, even the so-called leaders of the people who ultimately in the time of Christ turned him in, arrested him and crucified him. Are you surprised? Judas was among the 12. But strengthen your weak knees and your drooping hands. 
get up, do something. For God has chosen you to be a light to the nations. You are those who are the, the refugees. And now it's time to be what God has called you to be and go out and bring salvation to all those you encounter and then see those empty chairs in your church as an opportunity to be filled. God has chosen you and given you that gift. This is why I love our ICC mission. I'm just going to say something as we conclude. I love our ICC mission because we're reaching out to the nations, literally. Literally. With the good news of Christ. We are his hands and his feet to be able to say, here, here is that beautiful gift that we have received. And we want to give it to so many people because it has been a life-changing gift to us. And Christ has come to save not only me, but all the nations. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.